Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. Welcome to Tall Tales, your weekly dose of fiction, drama and spoken word on Brum Radio. I'm your host, Philip Ellis, and each week I'll be bringing you a brand new short story by an up-and-coming local author. Today we're going back in time to wartime Britain to visit a very special lady. This is Vesta by Cathy Hoyle. My mother named me Vesta, after taking one look at my newborn Titian tufts. My red hair and unusual name always wins me plenty of compliments from the soldiers, and I must admit I rather enjoy it. Inevitably, though, after a few dances and a few too many beers, it always ends the same. Hey, Red, where are you going? they shout, as I walk away head held high. Oh, come on, my hand slipped, I didn't mean it. They're all the same. Think you'll do anything for a pair of silks. Kitty and I took the bus away from here once. Most people want to escape to the country, but we're quite the opposite. We wanted to gorge ourselves on smoky town fumes and eat chocolate cake with our wages we'd saved for weeks. Brush the aptisentic stink from our hair and forget the sounds of death that rung daily in our ears. We drank tea in a cafe with a rosy-faced waitress and tablecloths spattered with bluebells, took our time over the yellow teapot and the china cups. It was the first real treat we had in years. Afterwards, fat raindrops walloped the steamed-up window, so we tied on our headscarves and ran over the road to the public library. Our good shoes clattered on the polished floor and our giggles echoed off the marble. We found a book. I don't know why we chose that one. I can't remember now, but we looked up our names. Kitty meant pure. And I was Vesta, goddess of the hearth, attended by the Vestual Virgins in Rome. (laughs) It was Kitty's laughter that forced the prune-faced librarian to throw us out. Pure? Ha! she guffawed. Vestual Virgins? Oh, I really don't think so. My mother must have lost her poor mind when she named us. I was grinning too, but not so much later when we were standing in the rain, our coats sodden, waiting an age for the ruddy bus. When was that now? I'm sure it was summer. May? No. June, maybe. 
Oh, I must ask Kitty when I next see her. I'm thinking about all this as I sit in my room. The nurse's quarters are small, but cosy at least. I try and block out the sound of angry voices. It's common here. Hospitals always bring out the worst in people. You can't just turn up here and start making decisions about her, a man shouts. Who the bloody hell do you think you are? The relatives really shouldn't be in the nurses' quarters, but they often end up here, hiding the truth from their loved ones. A woman knocks on the open door of my room. Hello, darling. She sings songs. Her voice sounds like it's been bathed in sunshine and her face is beetle black. She puts a cup of tea down on the small bedside table and I'm watching her fussing with my bedclothes. I'm not sure who she is. I've only been a nurse here for a short while, but I've never seen her before. How nice of her to bring me tea. Are you the maid? I ask. Her brow furrows and she pauses for a second before her face splits into a wide grin, revealing the biggest, whitest teeth I've ever seen. That's all right, darling, she says, then breaks into laughter. That's me, the maid. She bustles out and I sit in a large, brown armchair drinking the tea from a flowered china cup as I gaze out the window towards the hospital building. I can see across the little outdoor courtyard, past the benches and daffodils and the rockery, into the windows across the way. I'm not sure why our quarters are so close to the patients. You'd think they'd put the nurses somewhere else. The place is big enough. If you go through the double doors at the front, you can walk down the gravel drive and beyond the iron gate and you can see for miles. Across the rolling green hills, fields dotted with little red farmhouses and mini cloud-like sheep grazing. It's picture perfect. And boring as heck. I'm looking at a man in his striped dressing gown, walking around and around the ward like a clockwork toy. Poor thing. Someone should put him back to bed. I must check what time my shift starts. Maybe I can go and see him. Find out if it's the pain or boredom that's bothering him. But I can't seem to find my clock. That maid must have moved it. I will go and ask her. It's easy to get lost in a new place. The signs here are confusing. I can't find the maid anywhere, but as I wander into the common room, I see a man. Tall and broad-shouldered. He's standing next to the window, holding a cup of what I presume must be tea. He turns and smiles as I stop and steady myself against an armchair. Men aren't usually allowed in the quarters. Matron will have a kitchen if she sees him. He walks over to me, and I notice his eyes, turquoise blue and twinkling with mischief. There you are, beautiful, he says, smiling at me. I just needed to calm down a little. I was just having a cup of tea before I came along for you. 
I don't know what he means. Have we made a date? I ask. Only I'm not sure the dance hall is open this evening. I meet so many of them. At the village post office, in the queue for the bread, sometimes they just stop Kitty and I on the corner. It's hard to keep up. A date? Oh, yes, that's right, he says, looking a little uncertain himself. But I'm not dressed to go out, I reply. What time did we say? The silly maid has moved my clock, you see. He's handsome, all right. Those eyes are just lovely. Wait until Kitty sees him. She'll giggle and want him all to herself. It's okay. You go get ready. I'll wait here, he says kindly. I don't need to be asked twice. I go back to my room and take my makeup from my dresser. I curl my hair and carefully apply lipstick, rouge and a dash of mascara. I can't help wondering where I might have met him. I look through my wardrobe and choose a dress of blue, soft cotton with a flowered motif. It'll have to do. I don't have many dresses. I'm searching in my drawer for my silk stockings when a woman knocks and walks into my room, uninvited. I am a little annoyed, but in such a hurry, I carry on pulling out tights and underwear and throw them on the bed, rather rudely ignoring her. You're all right, darling? the woman asks. She is smiling as she walks over and starts putting my things in a neat pile. I bought you a cup of tea and a nice teacup, she says, nodding towards my bedside cabinet. What are you looking for? she asks. Silk stockings, I reply, irritated. I have a date. He's waiting in the common room. Her face, black as night, breaks into a friendly smile. Oh, a date, she says, giving a throaty chuckle. Well, that's nice, darling. Then she takes a tissue from her pocket and tilts my chin up to her. Here, let me help you, she says softly and I look into kind brown eyes as she gently wipes lipstick from my chin. That's better, she says, and then she helps me find my stockings. As I turn to leave, dressed to the nines and ready for my date, I realise I've forgotten to ask what on earth she was doing in my room. Are you the maid? I ask. But she just smiles and shakes her head as she follows me out. We are in the dance hall. I am looking up at his face, and I am grinning from ear to ear. He has a dimple. I keep looking at that and those blue, blue eyes, and we are dancing. I can dance all night. It's one of my favourite things on earth. You should see me jitterbug and jive. The soldiers taught me, and I am good at it. Even better than Kitty. I love how they swing me and throw me around, my skirt swishing around my legs, then up, 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 my stocking tops on show as I bounce along to the rhythm. I know it drives them wild. But it's not that that I love. It's the music. How it hums through my body, making me forget everything. The death, this war. 
All the broken people trying desperately to just hold on until the sands shift once more and we can go back. Back to living a life without fear. Without this never-ending ruddy fear. We are dancing. But not the jive or the jitterbug. This music is slow and he is holding me firm looking deep into my eyes with a tenderness that reaches inside and makes my heart flutter with hope. He pulls me closer and I nestle my head on his shoulder, breathing in his lemon scent. As we move, slowly, I feel as though I know this man. A warmth floods through me. I feel as though I have known this man my whole life. I lift my head up and look into his eyes and I know he will kiss me. He gently takes my face in his hands and puts his lips to mine and I don't pull away. The kiss is sweet and chaste. But nonetheless, I blush as red as my hair and I look down to the ground the spell is broken. I cannot believe it. I am wearing slippers. Oh, goodness me, how shameful. What will he think? I must go. If I go quickly, he might not notice. If I go quickly, they might not notice. Oh, please don't let Kitty see. She will tease me mercilessly. I'll never hear the end of it. How could I forget my shoes? I must go, I say sharply, and flee from the dance hall, turning only once to see him standing there, looking very sad to see me leave. The sun blasts through my window, throwing ribbons of light around the room, and I simply must go outside. I have spied easels on the courtyard, and paint too. They must be a gift from a benefactor. Some of our patients are wealthy, and we quite often have things sent to the hospital. Gifts from the grateful families of those we've managed to save even if their sons are sent back to them so torn up that it would have been kinder to let them die. Still, we try, always, to keep them alive, no matter what. Women, too. Women who have gone out of the field. Women who end up here, just as torn and ragged as those they went to save. I love to paint, Almost as much as I love to dance. I relish the idea of sitting in the sun and creating something beautiful. Something to look at that I know won't die. The paint has been left on a wooden table, simply begging to be used, so I sit down and begin to mix the colours on a wooden palette. I spend an hour or two painting the flowers around the rockery capturing the sunny smiles that radiate from the daffodils, the shy beauty of the crocuses and the blazing pride of a cluster of crimson tulips. I am distracted. There is a man sitting on the bench. I didn't see him before, but now I peep round the easel and catch him staring at me. He looks upset, concerned. I stand and walk over to the bench, it's my job as a nurse to comfort. I quite often see people here, on these benches. They ache for their loved ones. 
they arrive at the hospital filled with hope, only to find just a husk left of those they waved goodbye to. Sometimes not even that. Sometimes they come only to make arrangements, to have their fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, wives and husbands taken to a place where they can rest. In peace. Can I help you? I ask. He sits up straight and smiles, although the smile doesn't quite reach his eyes. Will you sit with me? He asks, patting the bench next to him. So I sit down and he turns to me, eyes brimming with tears. I'm sorry it's the first time I've been, he says. I just... Well, I just couldn't face it. It's okay, I say softly. I hope I can comfort this poor young man somehow. He seems so distressed. I move closer and take his hand. Have you had bad news? I ask. He looks at me then. He is searching my face for something. Something intangible. As he squeezes my hand tight, his face crumples and tears spill down his cheeks. Oh, Mum, he rasps. He leans over and places his head in my lap, and there's nothing I can do. He must have lost his mother. My heart aches for him, and we sit for such a long time, me stroking his dark hair and patting him gently until, eventually, his tears subside and he writes himself. I must go, he says shakily, and I nod as he hugs me one last time, then walks slowly across the courtyard, head bowed. I sit for a while, and then shake off the sadness. If I let it take over, I will drown in its blackness. I will finish my painting and breathe in the birdsong and the sunshine and let it fill my soul with its warmth. But as I get back to my easel, the world shifts beneath me. How can this have happened? My beautiful painting. Someone cruel has ruined my painting. I'm not looking at daffodils or crocuses or tulips. In front of me is a riot of black and green lines dashed across the canvas in a frenzy of hatred. My breath quickens and I feel the tears well in my eyes. I hurry from the courtyard, passing two men on the way. One is tall and broad-shouldered with angry blue eyes, the other dark-haired and tearful, and I push past them as they spit angry words at each other. "'You're not taking her away!' shouts the tall, handsome man. "'You have no idea what you're dealing with!' He prods the dark-haired man in the chest. "'You have no idea! You haven't been here!' I don't stop to listen any more. I hurry back to my room. "'Was it this way?' I somehow get lost and end up in the common room, but I don't recognise any of the nurses there. They must be new. We get a fresh intake once in a while. It must be from the shock of the painting. It's left me feeling upset, disorientated. My mind feels as though it's been filled with cobwebs and everything is slightly out of focus as though I'm wearing Kitty's glasses. I don't want these new girls to see me like this. So I turn quickly, heart hammering, take a deep breath, Vesta, focus, and then things slip back into place and I suddenly know the way again. I am finally in my room.
I take a book from the table. I will read quietly until I get my equilibrium back. I try not to think about who could have ruined my painting. Some of the girls here are jealous cats. Any one of them could have done it. I open the book, and just as I start to read, a woman knocks at the door and walks briskly in. Hi, darling, she says, smiling broadly. She has an accent, but I can't place it. Her face is as black as ink on the page. Her smile is filled with warmth. She is holding a flowered teacup, and I realize I am parched. I smile at her and ask, are you the maid? That was Vesta by Kathy Hoyle. You can follow the author on Twitter at Kathy Hoyle One, that's Kathy with a K. The story was read by Daisy Edwards. She's also on Twitter at HaDaisyLol. Tall Tales is produced and edited by Aidan Meyer. We've had plenty of comments about our creepy theme music. The track is called Gravel Salad by Swamp Thing, and you can find out more about them at SwampThing.com. That's SwampThing with two E's and two O's. If you've enjoyed any of our stories so far, you can read them online at brumradio.com and listen again on demand at mixcloud.com forward slash brumradio. If you are a writer or actor who would like to get involved with the show, we'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can reach us at stories at brumradio.com. Tune in next Tuesday at 10.30pm when we will be going behind the mysterious red door. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.